Before I start the show, I want to mention my AWS S3 command line course from Udemy. You can get that with 20% off using the link in the show notes below. So if you're manipulating AWS S3 buckets via the command line, then do check that out. Also, a massive thank you to all of the Patreon supporters for supporting How to Code Well. If you want to support the channel and if you want to get early access to some of the content, then please consider becoming a Patreon. Link to that in the show notes as well. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello, coders, and welcome to another How to Code Well podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about API clients. What is an API client and how and why I've created an API client for the House Code Well platform. But before we do, I just want to announce that we have a new JavaScript course. So that's in the show notes below. It's an, a course specifically for JavaScript arrays. And we're on, I think, the fourth or fifth JavaScript tutorial in that course already. So do check that out in the show notes below. There's also a course that I'm currently doing at the moment, which is PHP arrays as well. I'll put that in the links too. Okay. API clients. What is an API client? We know what an API endpoint is, right? That is the action of, of responding to a request, right? That's the endpoint. Those endpoints are handled on the server, right? So you have perhaps a series of controllers and those controllers will grab a request and then deal with that and return some JSON. That is basically your API endpoint. But what is an API client? This is something slightly different. The client is the thing that issues that request, that makes that request, that says, this is the path, these are the parameters, make that request, give me back the response. So if you if you think of an API and you split it up into two portions, you've got the, the responder and the requester. The API endpoint is the responder that is the responds to the request, right? So we're dealing with the request here. We're dealing with the issue, the action of actually making that request. And the reason why I've decided to split this out into a separate library, essentially it's becoming my software development kit for how to code well, essentially. The reason why I've sp split this off is because in the Gatsby website, in the front end, there was various different things like calling the APIs in various different ways, right? And it, it got a little bit messy. Plus, from JavaScript's point of view, I know it's a, a dynamic language, but from the point of view of actually receiving the promises from the APIs, there is no way to determine the type of those and what those promises actually contain. Yes, you can say, oh, it's a 200 okay, fine. But you have to make some assumptions in the code as to what the payload actually looks like, what the response actually looks like. So what I wanted to do was create my own little library, my own little client that handles the requests and also defines the shape of those uh, responses that comes back. And I was looking at various different things. And obviously this is a JavaScript thing, but we could be building this in the future with PHP or it could be Python or, or what have you. Essentially, it's a way of just saying, I want to access this endpoint and I want to pass in these parameters. That's essentially it. 
So the first thing I did was I actually looked upon what my endpoints were. That was the first thing I did. So I used the, the, I think it's the Nel, is it Nelmeo API bundle in, in Symphony? And I tagged all of the relevant controllers with the, uh, the annotation, the relevant annotations. I configured it. So then I could access uh, a, bra- a page on a browser and then I could see all of my a- API endpoints. And it was at that point that I decided to do a little bit of cleanup just to make things a little bit more sort of um, standardized, I suppose. I got into a bit of a, a, a difficult position with course views. There was There's like a course view to actually view a course. There's course views to get the views of a course. And then there's course viewed to get all the courses I viewed. Huh. So that was all sort of um, created in a very different way. So I wanted to standardize that and, I, and I've done so, which is great. So use that opportunity to, to, to look at your API endpoints and see if there's anything that you can do to, to change. I also use this as an opportunity to group my API endpoints as well. So with Swagger, you can tag them or with the Nelmeo API bundle, at least you can tag them. So I group the API endpoints. So for instance, all the user APIs are grouped by user or the auth APIs are grouped by auth and the courses are grouped by courses and so on and so on. So that gave me a nice little foundation to, to work on. So I then switched my attention to JavaScript to build this API client. And what I wanted to do was create an NPN package that I could then install into my various different applications to then harness the power of my API. That was the, that was the sole intention really. So I created a new project API client or JavaScript API client, and I started thinking about how to actually architect and structure this API. I knew that the endpoints were grouped and I thought that would be a great way to actually create classes. So you would have a class for a course, you would have a class for users, you would have a class for authentication. And then upon those classes, you would call methods, call upon methods, say get all or get by ID or, you know, add or edit or whatever. And then they would then call a request, make a request and then return back a promise. That would be fantastic if we got to that point. And we have, which is great. So that was, that was my, my goal. So taking a step back and thinking about how an actual API makes a request, you, there's a couple of things that are involved here. First of all, you've got the path. So that's the path that you're calling, you know, the, the, the actual URL that you're calling. You can break that up even more and go, well, actually there is a, a base URI as well. And if you think about a pro- this, this project, there are several base URIs depending on which environment you're in. So for instance, if you're on develop, if you're in local, then you'll be making a request to your local machine. However, you could, I suppose, change it to staging or production and make requests to those environments as well. Also, you have the, the, the requirement of a header and some of the API endpoints, well, most of them at least, they're all secured by, by um, OAuth, so there's a bearer token involved. Also, with certain requests, you'll need a payload. So you'll actually need to provide a body for that particular request. The plan was to create a lightweight API client. So nothing really heavy. I didn't want to pull in any kind of massive libraries or frameworks that would do this for me 
because I wanted to do this myself because I didn't think it would need to be a heavyweight thing. All right. This is essentially a library that I just slip into all of my applications and that becomes my way of accessing the How to Code Well platform. Okay. So the first thing I did was I decided to genericize all the API endpoints and just think about the requests. And there was only essentially two types of requests that my API is currently running. These are get requests and these are post requests. Obviously, as the application develops more, there'll be more requests, but there isn't a way at the moment to delete anything from the API. So there's no delete request type. So we're only focusing on post and we're only focusing on get. So what I did was I created an API class in JavaScript. This is our base class. And this class would have methods that handle things like issuing the requests and also dealing with the headers. So with the headers, what I had was a a couple of setter methods. First of all, we have, you know, setting a access token to the headers, because obviously you need to have the actual value is bearer and then space and then the token. And then there is a a sort of a little helper method that sets a key value pair to the headers as well. Okay. Also, this class deals with the requests. So it makes the request. So I have two methods, post and get. And then those methods call upon a method called request, passing in the various different parameters and so forth. The request method is the method that actually makes the call. This returns a promise. That promise is returned to the either post or get requests, which is then therefore returned up the chain to whatever is calling that post or get request from the API. After all of that, what I did was I created classes specifically for the groups of the API endpoints, so course, user, authentication, and they extended the API class, which means that if I wanted to get a a course by ID, I would just create a course get by ID method, and then that would call upon the get call of the API base class, which would then call the request, which would then return the promise, and then that goes up the chain, and then the get by ID of the course would return whatever is returned from that get request. So it kind of like a little wrapper, if you will. Now, I mentioned earlier that one of my biggest issues with the current setup or what it was where I was actually embedding these requests within the Gatsby application is because I I didn't really have any clue as to the data type that was coming back. So I didn't know what was coming back as the promise. I just knew it was a, a JSON object, but I didn't know what that looked like. So I used this opportunity to define types of data. And I used flow for this. So back into the API client now, what I've got is a series of types or flow types. And these flow types define the actual response that comes back. So I can now say that this promise is an object and that object is the type of maybe a course response, maybe a a response register response or a login response or a a response of, I don't know, um, enrolling into a course, all of those things, right? So I would define a type for each one of those. And then I would set that as the promise response, which is fantastic because now this means that when I push this project, this, this API client into my application, I know exactly what comes back and the shape 
of that, which is wonderful. So there's no sort of guessing or there's no sort of weird way of, of, of trying to understand the actual data type that comes back. Flow, by the way, is a fantastic static analysis tool that I've, I've recently only started using in the last, say, month or so. Um, and it's built by Facebook. So it's a, so far so good. It was a bit of a pain to actually set up and, and run with uh, Babel and all that stuff, but so far so good. And uh, as I said, we can you can actually create uh, a type that the object that you're returning needs to adhere to. This also means, of course, that I can define the type of the body too, which is wonderful. So I have um, in my in my flow types, I've got a response and a request. So I can define the different responses and the different requests for this, which means that the applications that use this library, this API client, know exactly what the, the response should look like and know exactly what the requests need to look like, which is great. So that solves that issue. There are two other things that I want to talk about, about what we've done with this API client. The first one is something that we did right at the start. And when I said we did, I mean, this is the stuff that I'm doing on Twitch. And this is testing. How on earth do you test an API client? <laughs> well, it's, it's very difficult, but it's not impossible. So we are using NOC, NOC, N-O-C-K. It's kind of a, a play on words for mock. This will mock the API request and mock the API response, mock the API status codes, the, the response codes, which is wonderful, which means that I can actually create my these data types and have a means of actually testing them, which is great. And it also, it intercepts, right? It intercepts the, the API request. So... You make a request as you would normally make a request, but then it intercepts it. So I should say that we're using Jest as a means of, of, of a sort of a testing suite. So Jest then calls the knock, which then intercepts the request. And then underneath the, the definition of all of that, we then make the request. And then we make some assertions to see if that request was okay. So all the API requests in this API client have been tested. They are all at the moment at around 97% coverage, which is great. The second thing that I want to talk about is documentation. So when you're moving code away from your big application, the Gatsby application, if you will, for this one, when you're moving code away, you want to make sure that you have a paper trail. You want to make sure that there's some breadcrumbs that you can follow in the future to go, well, why did I do this? And then you can answer those questions, right? My future self is hopefully going to thank me for spending time to actually document this. And the documentation hasn't been as painful as some may think because we're using Flow and I'm using documentation.js. Documentation.js knows that you're using Flow, which then creates the, the actual documentation for you, which is really good. There, yes, there's been some certain areas that I've had to sort of map out and and play with myself, but actually it's been a really good exercise. I have also been using the example parameter a lot within the API documentation because my documentation now 
tells me exactly what the body is, what the response is, and what the API endpoint is, which is wonderful. So I, I, that, that I think is going to be very, very useful in the future. And that documentation goes along with the, the package, the NPM package that we're building, which is fantastic. So flow, knock, um, then obviously Babel, we've, we've got some ES Lint in there. We've got some Jest. Yeah. We've, so we've got a couple of bits and pieces just to help out with testing and documenting the API, but there isn't any kind of, cl- there isn't anything in there that, that uh, handles the requests for me, any uh, external package. It's all my work. And for the fetching, we're using the isomorphic fetch package to, to sort of polyfill, I guess, the, the actual, mechanism of uh, making that fetch request. So yes, so far, so good. Now this API client hasn't been finished. I mean, this is something that's going to be developed alongside the actual how to code well platform. And there's probably going to be various changes that I need to do. I'm actually thinking about adding an an extra layer to it to be like a helper. So when the application makes certain requests, it actually goes through sort of a helper mechanism to actually, you know, tidy up the responses to get something that is actually usable or, you know, well-defined because obviously I'm using the JP JSON API specification and that can get quite long winded. So, you know, if I'm just getting a course, I don't want to return the data, the attributes, and then all the other bits and pieces that come along with that. I just want to return the course. (laughs) So, there, there might be a couple of things that I do in the future to help those kind of things. Now, a quick announcement, another one. Um, last night on Twitch, I was talking about how I would like to create a beta phased rollout for the How to Code Well platform. And this is because I've come to the realization that the roadmap that I defined in episode 71, I think, is basically a way of setting myself up for failure because this is forcing me down the roots of a big bang release. And we'll probably talk about this more in a, in a separate episode. Big bang releases scare the living daylights out of me. I have some really uh, interesting experiences, shall we say, with big bang releases that get uh, pushed out all at once. Hmm. So I don't want to do that. I want to do a phased out approach. And actually last night on Twitch, what we did was we defined all the tasks that I need to do in order to get the first phase out. Essentially, this is like my MVP on, on sort of a diet. <laughs> so the first rollout, I'm kind of hoping to do sort of end of July, first week of August, but uh, we'll, we'll see how that rolls out because there's a lot of stuff that I need to do. I need to actually build a server and, and all of this stuff for this website to go. Um, what I'm thinking though, is that there isn't going to be any user um, interactions. So you can't create your accounts at this stage. You can just watch the courses in free mode and they will issue, they will send you to the relevant YouTube playlists. Um, it's a bit of a, comp- well, it's a big compromise. It's a big compromise, but, um, I think that it's more important to get the production server running to get the, um, the website in some state up. Uh, and then, because I'm sure that once I shake that tree, there's going to be all sorts of things that fall out. 
including, for instance, I need to create a backup script I need to, or scripts. I need to create a deployment script. All of those things that I would need to do anyway, I'm going to do now. I would have done them sort of late in December, and I don't want to be dealing with that stuff at that time. Hopefully what I can do is then do a phased rollout of certain features. So we're not changing the, we're not changing the deliverable date. I think December is still the date in which all of the features will be ready and live, but I think that we're going to take a couple of couple of iterations first before we get there. So nothing has changed in terms of the timeline, in terms of the end goal. What we're doing is we're just bringing the deployment, the first deployment forward. And I must say that we can only do this because of the hard work that uh, my my wife has been doing in, in terms of content stocking. So the old website only has like five courses on there, whereas the new website has all of them. <laughs> so all of them. So there was a lot of work involved to actually create the courses and the tutorials um, on that. So, you know, trawling through the YouTube channel and getting all the relevant bits and pieces and creating stuff in the content management system. And of course, according to that roadmap that I did in episode 71, content stocking wasn't going to happen until September, but we were able to bring it forward, which means that we're in this position to create a phased rollout, which is what I'm, I'm super looking forward to. So when this happens, I will mention it again on the podcast. Thank you ever so much for watching. Happy coding, everybody. I'll see you again in the next one. Cheers. Bye.